The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 135 of the Data Reaper podcast. Joining me today is Zach Sathino. How you doing, Zach? Wait, but who are you? Who are you? Introduce I am Corb. I forgot. I forgot to join. I forgot to do that part. I'm sorry. It's we. Uh, it's made up. Wake up. I'm Corbett. I mean, how how are you meant to know who who to ask? How they're doing? Yeah. How are you doing, Corb? Um. <laughs> um. I'm so scatterbrained right now, Zach. I. It's like my brain is in a twist. Oh, uh, that's appropriate. Uh, I, I. I'm. I'm doing good. I'm having fun. Outcasting. I'm so addicted to outcasting that I'm start. I started to outcast in Wild, too, and damn, that deck is toxic, Corb. You made that thing, right? You made it. No, no, I can't claim credit for that. You can't. You popularized it. You popularized it. Yeah, yeah, I'll claim that part. Who, who you know. made it though? Who um, made it? Who made? Do you that know? deck was around early, like from the first couple of days of the expansion. Like there was a player KV, oh, okay. um, who did really well with it. But yeah, that deck's been around for a bit. It's just, you know, once we knew what was happening with Twist, um, I think I think players already give it a lot more attention. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Twist, I think Quest Demon Hunter is gonna be really good. Basically, Demon Hunter in general, because yeah, New Age is literally from demon hunters launch uh but um but yeah we had the report we had a we have a pretty solid standard meta right now um i think the balance changes did very well uh in you know sorting out the outliers and bringing in more stuff to the fray and it's kind of notable how you know usually when you look at the format, you look at the, the frequency graphs and you look at diamond and you go diamond platinum, you look at these ranks and you you usually see a more diverse field compared to top legend. Top legend usually is more narrow. People literally narrow down their choices and you often see like a class really spiking in play. But if you look at the top legend field in this report, there is no class above 14% play rate, which is nuts. Um, and also, in terms of win rates, like the best deck has a 52.5% win rate. And, and everything else seems extremely balanced. Now, I'm not sure that's going to stay like this. Uh, it's very likely that Demon Hunter, after the report, it, it seems to be trending in that direction, is uh, getting closer to the you know, 20% play rate at that rank. But that's because it has two very good decks, obviously. And one of these decks was extremely underplayed and underexplored. And we'll talk about it because uh, there's a lot to talk about, a lot of interesting stuff going on. And things, you know, big picture things as well uh, that might be interesting to discuss. So, yeah. Um, housekeeping, report, next report. 29th uh normal thursday probably this week there's obviously there's a major patch that releases uh twist but i do wonder if this is if this is a major content patch 
it's likely that there's going to be an expansion announcement because of, uh, you know, it might be a pre-order patch or, you know, the expansion pre-order arrives in the shop. That means that there's going to be an announcement of the next expansion. That's my speculation based on the timings because otherwise, yeah, it, it just has to has to be this week. Yeah, it feels it feels a little early, but it just has to probably be the way things work out with the the new twist update. So that makes sense. Yeah, because like if the twist update came, you know, early July, then it yeah, it would make sense the pre-order a month later, but it seems kind of early, so maybe the expansion is coming out earlier than we think. Maybe it's towards end of July rather than uh, you know, beginning of August, but we'll have to see. Um yeah, I'm obviously, you know, the format, I think, I think Hearthstone is a really good shape right now. So I don't mind playing this out, playing this format for a few more weeks until the expansion. But obviously I'm going to be excited for whatever comes next because we were always excited about new cards. Yeah. And speaking of whatever, whatever comes next, um, I know you, you might not be able to commit to anything, Zach, but the people are going to want to know, is there a plan at least to look at twist content? Is that something that you would consider doing if it happened to work out? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm open to it. Uh, it. It depends on a lot of things. I don't want to make promises because it depends on a lot of things that I cannot control. For example, how is the data parsed through deck trackers? Uh, Firestone and uh, HDT are very likely to have some issues with it. Uh, there might be rule changes in the game. So I don't know how that's going to translate. For this format, it might not be like a new age format where the rules don't change. It's just neutrals. That's it. But they might introduce uh, formats in the future that have rule changes where the game plays literally differently. And that might cause may cause issues. But, but I, I'm open. It, it, it's all dependent on if there's a, if there's consistent data coming in and I can parse it properly, then yeah, it's possible that we'll do twist reports. Um, uh, we did two classic reports, and after that, the bot population took over <laughs> the format in such a in, in such a severe way that you can't really do reports. It was just like Corp, like it was so. So here's the thing: it's it's a funny fact. Um, the, the, obviously, when we produce reports. We produce and we produce frequency graphs. The frequency graphs are related to the opponents, right? Not the, not what the player is playing, but what the player ends up running into, right? What decks are their are their opponent playing? Uh, but obviously, we also have data on what the tracker is playing, what the players who are using the deck tracker and contributing the data, what they're playing, and usually. Usually, and if you take the frequency graphs of what the players are playing, which is not, it's not science. This is not science. This is some something to note. Usually, the frequency graphs will be close to the frequency graphs of the opponent. Because if at top legend, 7% of the player base plays a specific deck, it's likely that the players who pilot the, the deck tracker are also going to play this deck at a similar rate. It's not going to be exact rate, but it's going to be a similar rate. With Classic, there's a massive disparity <laughs> between what the opponent is playing and what the player is playing. And the massive disparity is in Zoo Warlock. 
the opponent population of Zoo Warlock is massive. While the player population is not too much. Why? Because Zoo is just a bot deck. Like, there are tons and tons of bots um, that play Zoo Warlock. And obviously, these bots don't contribute data to, <laughs> to the Data Reaper report. They don't really do that. They're just chilling. They're just out there farming gold. Uh, they're not human players who, you know, utilize deck trackers and such normally. So the situation is that there's a huge disparity uh, between these population of, of decks. And it just, it just skews everything. Uh, it's become a situation where in classic, in order to climb, you just need to play something that counters zoo bots, and you get legend easily. And like probably even at legend, like I, I don't know, seventy percent of the population is probably bots. I'm just throwing out a number, but the, the majority of players is bots. So that's kind of the situation. This is why I I, I couldn't really do more classic reports. It's stupid. Like, what am I going to talk about? I'm going to openly talk about bots in, <laughs> in Classic, and you need to pick a deck that beats bots? It's stupid. So I opted not to make any more reports for Classic. But uh, Twist is going to be different every time. It's going to be fresh. And if people really like playing it, if it's going to have a large player base, and again, the data works and everything else is, is okay, then yeah, sure, I'm open to doing it. Um, no problem. All right, so there you go, guys. Yeah, keep an eye on, but no, no promises just yet. We'll have to have to wait and see. Um, but yeah, uh, t let's talk about Twist and you know bringing it back to what we're currently seeing. Uh, Zach, let's jump into Demon Hunter. Uh, yeah, Demon Hunter. Um, very strong class right now. Uh, with two extremely, I don't know, if extremely powerful decks. One is well-known and prevalent, which is Relic Demon Hunter. Relic Demon Hunter is taking advantage... I wouldn't say Relic Demon Hunter is a deck that's, like, busted or, like, super strong. It just takes advantage of the fact that people really like their attrition-style decks. They play Blood Control. They play Control Pleased. They play Spooky Mage, even though Spooky Mage is utterly dreadful. They still love playing it. So Relic Demon Hunter farms these decks. Um, and uh, it just, these decks are more, pre well, not blood control, but control pretty spooky mage. They're more prevalent at higher levels of play. So Relic Demon Hunter has a good time there. Um, we'll see how much that lasts, considering it gets countered by Enrage Warrior, which is another very powerful deck. Uh, and it has other answers. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's a dominant deck, but it's a good deck that's taking advantage of the field right now. Uh, when it comes to Relic Demon Hunter, uh, in the report, we recommend running Maltranix and Okani and dropping the Posic. The Posic is still fine. You can run Posic. Uh, but Okani and Maltranix have really good uh, roles in the control matchups. Uh, Maltranix alongside the Relic of Phantasms is really debilitating. Um... It just shuts down the opponent, and it just sets up a kill. Uh, so Maltranix is very good with Relic of Dimensions and stuff like that. And Posic kind of, I did notice, Posic is still a very good card. But I did notice that Posic dropped off. There are some decks that no longer want to run it, and some of the decks that still run it, 
the card is no longer a top performer. So the nerf definitely seems justified. Um, but when it comes to Outcast, which is, you know, the underplayed sleeper deck that people aren't haven't really been playing, it's a very interesting story uh, with Outcast. And it's something that, you know, it's been brewing for a while because in the reports, in past reports, we talked about uh, Sethino potentially in the Sethino package, Sethino Predation Dispose of Evidence. These are five cards that were just really bad in the deck. They, they performed really poorly. And we said that. We said that these cards are not good. We, we suggest exploring other stuff. But people didn't explore other stuff. Why? Because every top player insisted that this that Sethino was a core card in the deck. Nobody else tried to experiment or popularize a list that played alternatives. And nobody questioned that. So when there's no data on alternatives, then I can't really look at the other alternatives and say, oh, this is better. We may might as well run this instead of that card. Because everybody just played the same 30 cards and there was no room to maneuver analysis that way. Uh, and it's been going for a while. And then Sathino gets nerfed. And the Sathino nerf finally pushed players to say, oh, okay, now Sathino is no longer a core card in Outcast because it got nerfed. So let's try other stuff. And they tried other stuff. And that stuff was significantly better. There's all sorts of stuff. But what matters is you drop Sathino Predation, you instantly make the deck better in multiple matchups. And it's not because the opponents uh, were nerfed or were worse. It's because the deck was just simply better for a while without Sathino. And Sathino was just a card that clogged its outcast uh, synergies and... It's upside were just nowhere near uh, good enough to offset that. So people tried all sorts of things. They tried things like Beaming Sidekick. They tried things like... Uh, let, let me remember. I, I, I can't even... Uh, there's all sorts of cards that they tried. Snake Bites. Um, there's a bunch of... There's a bunch of cards. There's a list of cards that I finally had a chance to... You know, evaluate Bibliomite. You know, people played Astalor, uh, Rascal Naga, all sorts of things that were alternatives. But the standout cards that I saw that were being experimented is Shambling Chow and Merlocula. Shambling Chow was, for me, more obvious. The card was just blowing up the metrics. Uh, I, I, it makes sense. The card is a good turn one play. Very good against aggressive decks. Uh, helps you take the board. In addition to that, it gets drawn by a rush to stage. So you can run... You have seven rush minions now. So you can run two rush to stages. And it's a pretty good two-door later in the game. Don't keep rush to stage in the mulligan. But it's a card that helps you refuel. Uh, and a zero mana shambling challenge is very good with Halveria. Right? So it's a good card with Alveria. It's a good card with Rancher. Um, it's just good. Uh, it, it just screamed at me that this card is good. The other card, Merlocula. Uh, in this deck, this deck is very board-centric. Uh, Merlocula gets infused very, very quickly. 
Uh, security almost infuses heads by itself. It's very good with Rancher. You just play a lot of stuff, and you have a lot of stuff in play, and that makes Molecula very good. Now, we published this report. We said Outcast Demon Under is the meta breaker. So people picked up this deck, and this list is nuts. Nuts. I woke up the day after the report. I looked at the list, and I saw it was performing nuts. I said, let's play it. I didn't play Outcast. I didn't play much Outcast DH before. I took it to ladder and I climbed like 2,000 ranks. Bam. In one session. Uh, just completely dominant. Even Control Priest matchup. You know, I here's the funny thing. People think, oh, Sathena was core to Outcast DH because you need to be able to OTK the Priest. How do you win if you don't OTK the Priest? Well, the matchup between... Outcast DH, the new list, and Control Priest is close to 50-50. Maybe Control Priest has like a 1 or 2 percentage edge. Like uh, It's between 50-50 and 45-55, something like that. Uh, and that matchup was uh, not any better when you ran Sathino. So Sathino did actually nothing in that matchup. Because when you actually play that matchup, basically it's about... You reload the board, make a board that's so obnoxious that they can't really clear it, and you make them waste their shard of the narrow, um, so that you actually can stick a board. And if you stick a board one time, then Halveria deals a ton of damage, and you can kill the priest, even though you don't have some OTK. Um... So that matchup is quite close. The matchup that's really, really tough is Blood Control Death Knight. That matchup is like something like six, uh, 35, 65. That is a counter, absolutely, um, because they have so much removal and Blood Boil farms you and Corpse Explosion uh, circumvents your Rancher uh, boards so that it's very hard to stick a board against them. Uh, and they also pressure better than uh, Priest does. Uh, if... If you ever have a turn off, they can just play like a, 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 a no muncher. And you, you can't de even deal with a no muncher. It's very hard for you to, to just kill a no muncher. So they can they can counter pressure very well. Uh, but, you know, other than that, Spooky Mage, I think, is a tough matchup relatively. But it, it's Spooky Mage. Against everything else, Outcast Each is really, really good. And, you know, it's the best deck. It's just the best deck. It's also the second most difficult deck to play in the format. In the that run where I climbed 2,000 ranks, I messed up a lot. This this deck is hard. Um, there is lethal, a lot of Halveria lethal puzzles. There are the mulligan is very complicated because uh, the mulligan is not just dependent. Like you don't just, you know, what card should I keep in Outcast? There are a lot of cards that you keep or not keep depending on where they are in your hand. For example, a Wayward Sage that's on the left side or a Wayward Sage that's to the left of it, there are cheap cards that you can play earlier, is a keep. Like if you have a Wayward Sage in the middle, let's say you go first and you, you have a Wayward Sage in the middle and on the left is a Vicious Slither Spear. You keep the Sage because you're going to play Slither Spear on one into an outcast for uh, outcast wayward sage, and you get the discount. 
But if you have a wayward sage in the middle and on the left is a walloper and you're going to pitch that walloper, I don't think you keep a wayward sage in that situation because you have no guarantee that the card that you move on the left side is going to be able to be played on turn one. You, you basically need to be very lucky, get a turn one play to activate the wayward sage. So in that situation, you pitch wayward sage. So there's a lot of intricacies when it comes to the mulligan. So the mulligan is complicated. The game plan can be complicated. Uh, your uh, glaive tower management can be complicated. Sometimes you you can very easily set yourself in a situation where you overdraw with glaive tower because you didn't pay attention to how many cards you activated it with. Uh, so there's all sorts of things that make this deck quite difficult. Um, which is why I think that people are kind of, uh, they don't, they haven't grown too fondly of it very quickly. But a top legend, I already see. Like this deck is spiking. This deck is headed to a at least a 10% play rate. Um, it, it, I think over the past 24 hours, it's actually over 10%. So this deck is going to be very, very popular uh, until, you know, people actually play counters to it. Now, the counters are kind of weird, and they're not good often. Like, Blood Control is not in a great position in the format. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what people do in order to, to combat it. But it's a very, very good deck. And the list in the report, um, now that I have data on more data, I'm very confident that it's, it's the perfect 30. The only cards that are, like, slightly questionable is the Rush to Stage. Um... The card is okay later in the game, but it's really bad early. You should not be keeping Rush to Stage uh, at all. And another card that's kind of sussy to me, it's uh, Vicious Slither Spear. Without Predation, then Slither Spear isn't that great. If there was a better one-drop, like if people can find a one-drop that you're comfortable playing as a standalone turn one play that maybe works better in this deck, I would be open to replacing Slither Spear. But those are the only cards that I'm like, okay, maybe there's something better there. But other than that, I don't think so. And, you know, there's all sorts of ideas of other cards. The main thing I want to say is that whatever cards you want to experiment with this deck, you want them to be cheap and you don't want them to block your outcast synergies. Like that's like Zillag, for example, I don't think so. Or like even Astalor is not that great in this deck because of the fact that it just blocks you. Um, and, and it's all about the outcast synergies, being able to utilize these cards the, uh, the best way you can. I really like how the Merlocular, um, you know, undoes some of the damage that the Shambling Chow can do. Like, the, it's a very fun pairing, you know, the lifesteal. And yeah, the Merlocular works really well uh, with the Rancher. Um, I've never, I was kind of thinking about it. It's so strange to me and i can't really think of an example where we had this really powerful deck in the format and players just refused to change the build Cha like refused to cut suboptimal cards for such a long time uh for a deck that still looked very viable i mean it's happening right now for so long though like this went this went on for like two months it felt like well the thing is sathino at the start when predation was three damage and you also had a um, a Rowdy fan that was better. Rowdy fan was also nerfed. And the meta was also different. 
At the beginning of the expansion, the Satino Rowdy fan combo with Predation was actually okay. It was not great, but it was passable. Let's say that. But as time went on, you know, Rowdy fan got nerfed. That was a big deal. And then Predation got nerfed. At that point, the package was no longer viable. It uh, was just about replacing it, finding other alternatives that would be better. The, the, the cards just didn't fit to the deck's game plan at all. And, but people were locked into a perceived power because they kept thinking, how do I OTK the priest? It always comes down to priest. It's like, I need to be able to OTK them because they remove everything I play. Like you have a game against priest and yeah, half the time, they're going to clear your stuff and they're going to win. And it feels like when you lose these games, it just puts the player in a position, in a psychological position with like, oh, I need to be able to OTK them or I just can't win. Uh, and then like half the time you win. You do win just by playing, reloading the board over and over until there, it comes a point where they cannot remove your threats. Yes, it's possible for control priests not to have the perfect removal card at a specific turn. It's possible. I know it's hard to think about it. It's hard to imagine it, but it happens almost 50% of the time. So, uh, yeah, people often think that a core card is, they think a card is just core and you can't cut it, and they'll spend like a month uh, continuing to play it and then find out it's a trap later because they found a card that's better. It happens all the time, by the way. It happens, every expansion happens multiple times and I see it and it's like, uh, yeah. So just, just you know, be open-minded and don't think, uh, don't look at every card as like, oh, we can never cut this card. We can never, we can never do that. Because often, those are the moments where discoveries are made, right? When, when a sacred cow gets sent to the slaughterhouse, that's when, that's when things develop. That's when you find new discoveries. That when you find novelties. It's when people step out of the box and uh, start to be creative. So that's what I encourage. I think that's uh, that's also an important mindset to have, especially if you're a deck building, a, a deck builder. If you wanna be a good deck builder, you have to be able to to you know um, step away from the consensus. Anyway. Speaking of consensus, uh, Druid uh, is also very interesting. Uh, we talked about it in a previous podcast, in the previous podcast about, you know, Chad Druid popping up. And initially, Chad Druid looked worse than the big Druid with, you know, Mask Reveler and Neptulon. It looked worse. And then Fanboy came in, and that was the card that kind of unlocked Chad Druid to be a lot better alongside Kolak. Um, and Chadward is really good. Like, if you look at its matchup spread, it's a weird deck because it doesn't get countered by aggression at all. There are some, like, Pure Paladin beats it, right? Pure Paladin beats it. But it's not just, an, it's not enough to be an aggressive deck to be able to beat Chadward. And then it gets countered by Control Priest. So the main counters is, like, Pure Paladin Totem Shaman and then Control Priest. Control Priest counters it because it has silence and mass removal options for a Jailer turn, right? Uh, it's able to, to kind of 
counter the late game plan of Chadrick. And then Pure Paladin and Totem Shaman just have extreme snowballing capabilities to the point where um, like the game spins out of control. Um, Outcast DH, by the way, the new build definitely beats Druid. I went like 5-0 against Druid. You also look at its stats. Uh, uh, Druid does not do well against the new builds of Outcast. Obviously, Sethino is a card that was completely useless in that matchup. But now this matchup is trending towards 65-35 in favor of the Outcast Demon Hunter. So this is another matchup that uh, Chadruid struggles with. But when you look at Enrage Warrior, Hound Hunter, these decks are not good against Chadruid. Because they're not fast enough to overwhelm the Druid before the Wamper turn. Uh, another thing, interesting thing about Chadruid and highlights the importance of being open-minded. I am someone who is very easy to convince otherwise. Like I can have an opinion based on data and then the data changes and I'll change my opinion. You remember me kind of saying Doomkin sucks. I said that. Doomkin sucks. It sucked. I looked at the data before the patch. Doomkin was not good. It was by far the worst card in the deck. I look at the data now. Doomkin is kind of good. And now my opinion has changed. Very easy. Like, I'm open-minded. I am not locked into, uh, you know, uh, opinions and I never change them. Why Why did Doomkin suddenly get better? I tried to figure it out. Well, it's easy. The meta before, Paladin smacking you in the head. Bam, bam. The game didn't last very long. The meta was very warped towards early game. A turn six spider tank is not super effective there. But now... What do you see? You see Control Priest. You're seeing, uh, obviously, the Blood Control Death Knight. You're seeing Spooky Mages. You're seeing slower stuff. And you're also seeing stuff that's kind of fast, but also wants to ramp to the late game. Things like Enrage Warrior, for example, is a deck that can snowball early, but likes to go late game. If you play a Doomkin against it, it's annoyed. It does not like to get Doomkin. So even the, the faster decks are kind of not the do not appreciate being doomkind so doomkind got a lot better to the point where it's probably the best 29th 30th card you can have in the deck again it's not to the it's not good to the point where it's like core and it's very possible that the meta changes to the point where i say oh doomkind sucks again now but it's a card you can definitely strongly consider chitinous plane doesn't do a lot right now uh Kitan is playing before the patch. You know, there was there were a lot of pure paladins with doom hammers and rock biters. So armor gain was actually quite important against paladin. On top of it, you had, you know, frost death knights and all sorts of burn style uh, things like spell demon hunter, right? That's a deck where Kitan is playing is really important against. And that deck is gone. Paladins dropped off. Frost death knight is not that popular. Neither is burn mage. So burn is not that prevalent in the format. Which makes Chitin Explaining a card that just armor gains. There's nothing else in this deck. You don't have armor synergies in this deck. Um, and you also have Fanboy, which gives you life gain. So Chitinous is kind of being kind of feeling more redundant. It's dependent on the matchup, but the card has dropped off and Doomkin got better, so I swapped them around. Um But overall, Chandroid is a very strong deck, especially at low ranks of ladder. Uh, there's two reasons. One, less of its counters. 
uh, Control Priest more popular, like a top legend. Um, but also, it's a deck that's a very telegraphed. Uh, Zocdruid was a deck with a with a, an above average skill cap, skill ceiling. Like it's a deck with a positive skill trajectory. Zocdruid, on average, its matchups improved as you climb the ranks. Chadruid is the opposite. Better players know how to anticipate what Chadruid is about to do and know how to exploit it better because it's predictable, which gives Chadruid a below average uh, skill trajectory, which means that it drops off, like some of its matchups gets worse at higher levels of play. And you see it like at, at top legends around the tier three range. It's really uh, by a thread hanging in around the 50% win rate mark. It's good against Relic Demon Hunter. So if Relic Demon Hunter gets popular, it might get stronger. It's good against Enrage Warrior. So it's good against the two best performers in the report this week. However, there are also trends against it, going against it, which is the Outcast Demon Hunter uh, spiking. So we'll see what happens. It's probably going to stay around where it is. Yeah, I'd be happy with that. Um, I personally, every time I see a hedge maze into the Wampa, I want to rip my hair out. Um, I think I hate this deck more than Control Presac. I'm just going to put that one out there. Uh, not my favorite archetype. Yeah, it's uh, it's unpleasant. Uh, because uh, you have no you have no control of the matchup. You, you feel that you have no control of the matchup. If they have... If you have Hedge Maze into... It's not just feel. It's also statistically. If they have Hedge Maze into Wamper, you're not likely to win. And there's very little you can do. There are a lot of decks that just don't have the ability to respond to that. Um, so yeah, the deck is unpleasant and sh should not be too popular. It is interesting that they've, uh, they've gone back to this and we have... Um... Another similar case in Paladin, like we'll get to Paladin, but like Kangor being a similar mulligan win rate spike in these big decks. Uh, Kangor is even more crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of like the last meta that they kind of pushed these big cheat minions into play. Um, even in the core set, we had Voidcaller uh, into the Warlock core set. So it seems like something that they've become a lot more comfortable with pushing after, you know, not having that kind of archetype for some time. Yeah. Um, like some some players really like to just drop a big idiot <laughs> and scam a game. They like I can see why it's it, it can be attractive to to just scam a game like that. Like this is why remember Big Priest, one of the most popular decks uh, of all time. Oh, I'm familiar. That that people love so much that they kept playing it wild, even though when it was really bad, they kept playing Big Priest. So. There, there's definitely something appealing about it to a portion of the player base. And obviously, we're not here to judge. It's just player preference. So this is something that they're going to push. You just don't want this thing to be overly powerful and prevalent because when it's overly powerful and prevalent, it's very obnoxious. And you don't want to put us... You don't want to make a meta that's, uh, that's centered around that kind of play. But if a deck exists that does that, and the deck is okay power level wise, but not too popular, then it's something that they can tolerate. And I think we can tolerate. Uh, but I can definitely understand why people really don't like this deck. If this deck ever became really good, it probably needs to be nerfed. Uh, there are there are uh, arguments to nerf it, even as current iteration. Uh, and I understand that too. But uh, for now, it's okay. It's not too bad. 
and if you really dislike it, there are ways to beat it. Again, play Outcast DH, it farms it. Chow ends it. Like, Chow has helped that matchup significantly um, compared to, you know, previous iterations. Okay, Death Knight. Death Knight, um, we only made one update for this report compared to pre-patch. Death Knight didn't really change that much. Blood Control, the build is, is solid, it's good. As good as Blood Control can be. This deck is mostly good at low ranks of ladder. Again, two reasons. One, more hostile environment at uh, higher levels of play. More Control Priests, more Relic Demon Hunters. These are bad matchups for the Blood Control Death Knight. And they see more play there. Also in Rage Warrior. Unlike other... You know, fast decks that kind of flood the board. And Rage Warrior does not really mind running into Blood Control Death Knight. Because Blood Bowl is not effective against uh, Warrior. Uh, they just keep... Yeah, you, you, you get healed. But they could, they just keep buffing it, uh, buffing their board with an imbued axe. And if you don't have like a really cracked uh, corpse explosion, you're going to die. Also, they have really good late game that you can't really stop consistently if they get uh, an anima extractor turn and they buff like a Remornia. You're just facing a giant Remornia and you can't deal with it. So these are tough matchups. They get they become more popular at high levels of play, which is why also Chadroid, which is why Blood Control gets worse. Um, and Frost didn't really change. Uh, Cultist has gotten a little bit worse because Paladin are less popular, but it's still probably better than uh, Rowdy Fan. Um, so I opted to, to leave it in. Unholy Merlocula. Corb, Merlocula is just the nuts. It's just, it just the card you want to run right now. There's a lot of board tension, so having Merlocula um, is very useful, and it's very good with uh, Megatha as well like i think the reason why merlocula has got so much better like merlocula is a card that saw play before in unholy aggro death knight it saw play it wasn't great now i think with megatha it makes more sense um you used to play gorlock ravager to draw the merlocula but megatha is just so much better than gorlock also gorlock Kind of force you to run stuff like Mermy, which is really bad. So, Merlocula seems like a a good fit. That makes sense. Like you want to be able to you want to be able to tempo swing whenever you have these sort of vanilla five five um, draw a whole bunch of card effects. It actually it might be a little bit of a strange comparison, um, but it reminds me a little bit of Lothab. I know I'm not trying to make the thing where every five and a five five is a Lothab. I know that's in the community a bit. Um, where where often like Lothab wouldn't perform super well unless you could make a tempo swing alongside it. Like the card was very overrated, I think, um, in Wild in, in like a lot of aggressive decks. But when you have the ability to kind of like recover the tempo or play other things alongside the five five. Um, then it works out really well, right? Like you want to convert that value into tempo and Merlocula is such a natural fit for that. Yeah, if you play Lotheb alongside a giant, right? A zero mana giant, then it's really good. But if you just play Lotheb by itself, it doesn't do much. Uh, yeah, I can see the comparison. Also, Megatha, if you play Megatha and you have a board and you draw a Merlocula, then it helps you at least make up for the for the 
five mana five five later at a later turn. Like they clear the board and you can reload with Merlocula. Also, Merlocula is really good with Rancher. Uh, really good card with Rancher. Uh, I've done this with Outcast, Demon Hunter, and you just heal forever. <laughs> like, and that sometimes sometimes is really really good. Again, like in matchups like in Rage Warrior and Hound Hunter, which are not the most aggressive decks, but they also like to pressure your life total sometimes, especially with the uh, Shambling Child. Then Merlocula really gets uh, gets things done. Um, helps you recover. Um, yeah, Control Priest. Um, Control Priest is a deck that looks better post-patch for sure because of the Paladin nerfs. Not only is Paladin less popular, it's also the matchup has uh, has become worse for the Paladin. Paladin is still favored, but instead of something, it was close to 70-30 before the patch. Uh, Doom Hammer and Rockbiter really farmed Control Priest, and it dropped out to like 60-40. So not only is popular, uh, Paladin less popular, also doesn't dominate Control Priest as much. The only matchup that really makes Control Priest... Well, there are two. One is Relic Demon Hunter. This is the common counter to Control Priest. It's a very hard counter. That matchup is close to 70-30. Uh, in fact, Relic Demon Hunter got better in this matchup because they cut Sathino. Here's a thing that people didn't know. People kept thinking, oh, you have to run Sathino to beat Control Priest, or at least having the Rowdy Fan Sathino OTK in Relic Demon Hunter makes the Control Priest matchup better. No, it actually made the matchup worse. Why? Because you had Jet Draws. Predation is low impact outside of the context of the combo. Sathino is low impact outside of the context of the combo. And Rowdy Fan does next to nothing outside of the context of the combo. So you have four cards that were just dead throughout the game. And then sometimes if you got to the late game, you managed to OTK, you would think, oh, that combo is what beat Control Priest. That combo is what won me in the game. Well, not really, because, again, it dropped the Sathino, Relic Demon Hunter drops Sathino, and it does better against Control Priest, because now that it dropped these situational cards that are only good with each other, it runs more standalone good threats. Astalore, good card against Control Priest. You just run it. Meltranix, huge in the matchup. Okani, very annoying. Uh, so you just have more threats. Zillag, another card that just does damage, forces a removal. Uh, so when you have more standalone threats, you're much better off against uh, Control Priest. Uh, another matchup is Spooky Mage. Spooky Mage is a terrible deck, but people play it, I think, just because it beats Control Priest. Because that's all it does. It does really very little it does. There's, 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 we'll talk about it. But those are the main counters. But other than that, Control Priest is kind of comfortable. Uh, it's good against Enrage Warrior. It good, it's good against the Death Knight class in general. Frost is the most difficult matchup. But Unholy, it's good against Unholy. It's very good against Blood Control. So you have like Pure Paladin, Relic Demon Hunter as the main strong established decks that give control piece a hard time but other than that really there's there's like control piece is quite good now it is a deck with an above average uh, skill trajectory it's quite above average so it doesn't perform as well at lower ranks of ladder but a top legend it's tier two it's very resistant 
I do see that over the last few days, people are trying to counter it more, but I don't really see its win rate uh, falling as a result. It seems to be very resistant. You really have Relic Demon Hunter as a huge option um, at that rank in order to counter Control Priest. And if, Rel if you removed Relic Demon Hunter from the format right now, Control Priest would be very comfortably tier one. It would be arguably the best deck in the game. So we're like one nerf away from Control Priest being the best deck. So keep that in mind. I've said it in the report as well. Do not nerf do not nerf uh Relic Demon Hunter. Like if there's a balance patch coming in a few weeks, in a couple weeks, maybe the last one before the next expansion, I highly recommend to not touch Demon Hunter. Uh, because yeah. We're probably some time away from any balance patch. And we will see like how the meta shapes up, especially with Outcast Demon Hunter. Um you've already talked so much about how the the deck is just incredibly powerful and we'll see now if it finally gets that you know that hold on the meta how the rest of the format adjusts um just because you know some of its counters like you said are uh, kind of you know, like the blood death knight which is a bit weak um it's like can that deck actually pop up and be frequent enough will this shape the format um uh, but yeah we are we are a few weeks away from worrying about nerfs nerfs i think yeah now when it comes to what priest wants to do in this format, you mostly need to worry about Relic Demon Hunter. And there seems to be a misconception about what you need to do against Relic Demon Hunter as, as a control priest. Because people are convinced, top players are convinced that Dirty Rat is crucial in that matchup. And the data does not tell me that. Um, it, the data has consistently told me this week that Dirty Rat is really bad in control priest. It's just not very good in most matchups other than faster Death Knights. Like, it's pretty good against Death Knight in general because the faster Death Knights, you know, they have small minions, so Dirty Rat is not as punishing, right? Um, and Spooky Mage. And Spooky against Spooky Mage, uh, Dirty Rat is good. It's like a really good card. But in Relic Demon Hunter, not really. Um, it doesn't really... Like, Relic Demon Hunter is very rat-resistant. Uh, most of the minions that you pull, if you pull, like, a school teacher, you think it's a win. But it isn't really because he didn't really influence the matchup. You just spent two mana on a card on something that didn't give you an advantage on the board and didn't help you increase the chances of you winning later in the game. It does not do that. So dirty basically, if you wanna if you want Dirty Rat to be good against Relic Demon, you need to you need to pull Zymux. And if you count the number of minions that Relic Demon Hunter actually has in the deck, it, it's like 17. Without Nagalings. And without other generations, it has 17 minions. That's not very consistent. So, Dirty Rat is just not effective. But I did search for something that was effective. And that's Shadow Ward Ruin. By a mile. Shadow Ward Ruin is like a top three card against Relic Demon Hunter. It's really simple. Uh, because, you know, most times, the Relic Demon Hunter just turns out threats to the point where the priest doesn't have the answers. Right, the the relic of phantasms uh, get to the scaling port where an infused clean the scene does not deal with them. Right, once they get seven attack and above, the only way you can deal with them with like a relic vault into relic of phantasms and like four giant threats is you either need multiple 
uh, uh, light it burns and cannibalizes in the same turn to be able to deal with multiple of these big boys. Or you have Whirlpool. That's it. Eventually, you're going to run out of that stuff and you're going to die. And the Relic Demon Hunter really does not need to OTK you in order to beat you in that matchup. So just having Shadow Ward Ruin, two copies of Shadow Ward Ruin, means that they cannot beat you through the board. Or it's a very it's much harder for them to beat you through the board. You're basically forcing them to like get the most insane fizzles or accelerate so early in the game that you didn't even have an answer by the time that they scale their Relic of Phantasms. Which makes it sound like the matchup's only favored. No, it isn't. But it gives you a better chance. Like, they have to get lucky with, like, Fizzles into Silvermoon Arcanus and Unleash Fell to, like, semi-OTK you burst off-board in order to beat you if you always have an answer. So, based on the analysis that I did this week, Shadow Wardrun helps a lot more than Dirty Rat. And I'm sure that people will disagree with me and they won't listen to me because they never do. They didn't listen to me about Satino and Demon Hunter. They won't listen to me about this now. But this is something that you can listen. And I'll tell you, I guarantee you, if you run double Shadow Ward Ruin, that matchup becomes more difficult for the Demon Hunter. You know what? It's fair enough. We can just have Dirty Rat holding the torch from Satino. Um, There must always be a card that Zach has the opportunity to complain about being overplayed. I don't mind it being open. I'm happy it's played. I'm happy people play it because it makes control priests worse overall. Uh, oh, so, oh, yeah. Keep. Oh, I like make, this angle. Yeah. You see, like, like I am, I am, I am trying to make control priests better here. Oh, you're the baddie. You're the bad guy. Yeah, I'm telling people cut rat, play Shadow Ward Ruin, make that Relic Demon Hunter matchup less of a hard All right, counter. Guys, that's, that's the end of the podcast today. <laughs> End of the podcast. We're going to have to call it early. Uh, yeah, you might never hear this episode. Uh, no, no, just joking. Um, okay, let's talk about a fun priest deck, Zach, if you have anything to touch on Undead, or we can move on to another class. I, I mean, Undead Priest is uh, is pretty good right now. Uh-huh. It's pretty strong. People are not interested in playing it because it's kind of old, and it doesn't have any new cards, so it's not exciting, but it is one of the better decks to, to take to... A late letter led legend climb. If you if you like the deck, then it can definitely produce results. Hunter. Uh Hunter is interesting. Hound Hunter is uh developing in a really greedy direction. Um so when I refined it initially, I looked at the data and I saw that Faithful Companion was kind of bad. Well, not the first one. The first one is good. The second one is garbage. Was garbage. Like the second copy of the Faithful Companion was really bad. So I thought, let's put Theron in, right? Because Hollowhound is really good with Theron. We know that from Blood Control, that thing. We also know that, I knew that from iterations, Renathal iterations that ran Theron. I saw that Theron had great synergy with Hollowhound. So I said, let's run one Theron, one Faithful Companion. And it worked. And turns out when you put Theron, Faithful Companion suddenly shoots up. Even the second one becomes really good. So Theron is not a replacement for Faithful Companion. Theron is what makes Faithful Companion even better. And this week I'm suggesting run Theron and run two Faithful Companions, especially when we're seeing so many priests, right? And uh, Blood Death Knights and Spooky Mages. 
then the ther- going greedy is quite good. It's quite effective. And um, it looks good to the point where you even cut a vicious slither spear. I This was really hard, actually, to find a card that you cut in that deck. Uh, but even though Lizard Spear is kind of good with bananas, it's really good. It's only good with bananas. It's kind of weak outside of that. And uh, when it comes to mulligan priorities, you'd rather have Poacher, you'd rather have Wild Seeds uh, compared to Slither Spear. You'd even rather have uh, rather have a Musician. So Slither Spear is quite situational. And you can drop it to a one copy. And I'm already seeing people doing it. And I think it works. The Theron and the Double Faithful Companion is really good in the current format. Obviously, when everything was Paladin, that you, you couldn't really do that as much. Um, but but it, it becomes quite consistent when you're giving time to do that. Anyway, Arcane Hunter. Corb, this deck is actually playable. Um... For the first time, like this deck always, when I looked at this cluster, I always saw like win rate in the low 40s, sometimes 30s, like nowhere near competitive. And suddenly I'm seeing a deck that's functional. That's like tier three-ish, maybe even a little bit better. We'll see. But this deck works. And if you really like this deck, uh, then give it a try. Uh, I think it can it can definitely work. I think the Paladin nerfs definitely helped. Uh, when you're running Ricochet Shot, you don't want to see Divine Shields. Uh, basically, Arcane Hunter is a damage-based deck, and any kind of mechanic that circumvents damage uh, kind of counters it, so Divine Shield is very bad. So now it has some breathing room. It's pretty good. It's pretty solid. I'm not sure about the Fizzle, honestly, guys. Not sure about that, but I want to see more data to confirm that the card... That there's maybe something better. I I have an inkling. Uh, I think I know how this will turn out. Um, a little bit Dirty Rat esque or Sathino esque. Corb, you play Fizzle. You play uh-huh. Fizzle. Then you quiver the snapshot. Yeah. Quiver the yeah. snapshot. Corp. I don't know about this one, Zach. I'll have to see it to believe it. Um, I do like that we have the Arcanist Ricochet package. It's just the Unleash Fell at home. Um, <laughs> it's it's very it's very it's adorable. It's also really good. You can, you just play it on turn seven with uh the portal oh uh, yeah yeah for an army the eversong portal and mm-hmm. you get up an army of uh the rush minions the lynxes, lynxes. yeah the links yeah yeah that card is so good like that that card i can really see this going somewhere um i hope they revisit it a little bit while it still has the chance in standard i think it's likely yeah i'm happy that it seems playable ish now i would like it if it seemed you know good like really good it's it's a really cool flavor, the Arcane Hunter. Yeah. I think it they nailed it with the Quelth Lost, the Elves. It makes sense that they're more like Arcane-ish hunters, like Pew Pew hunters, rather than, you know, beastie hunters with, uh, you know, Misha and Rexar and all that stuff. This is a different flavor on Hunter. It's really cool. I think if you give this, this, this archetype like a couple more impactful cards, I think it can definitely do, uh, do some damage. It can make some noise. Uh, it's it's quite close. It's already a deck that you can play on ladder and not you know not punishes you like not punish yourself too hard uh, for playing it. It's kind of like with the with the big uh, beast stuff. It's a throwback to cubes, and then the arcane hunter feels like a throwback to spell hunter. It's like we're revisiting rustic cards. We just need to find out beast hunter and I can't even remember what the other one was. Those were in hunter's golden era. I had like four tier one or tier two archetypes. 
Secret hunter, secret hunter. Secret hunter, yeah. Yeah, hunter hunter might des- diversify. It's quite interesting. By the way, people are trying Renothal and the Hound Hunter. It's not bad. Like, the Renothal builds are not far away from the 30 card builds. It's pretty close. I do think that 30 has the edge. Uh, but I'm, I'm open to Renathal if people figure out something like a better build, maybe maybe they're maybe you can make some improvements there. But generally, thirty cards is better by a percentage. Maybe. This could be this could be Hunter's Doomkin moment. You got to convince Zach otherwise. Yeah, like, but but I'm saying it's close. It's not, yeah, like I'm open for it. Anyway, um, mage, spooky mage, awful. I honestly don't know why people play. Well, I do. It counters control priest. That's it. That's all it does. It's kind of, I will say, it's good against Outcast DH. It's actually a weird counter. Uh, I played, like, I had a 23-9 run with Outcast DH. I queued into two mages, and I lost both games. Uh, Solid Alibi is annoying (laughs) in that matchup, and they have a lot of removal, a lot of board base, like, Blizzards are really bad for you. So, Star Power is also really good. So, Mage actually has tools to to do very well against Outcast DH. But that's kind of it. Like, it doesn't really beat anything else. It's like Control Priest and maybe Outcast DH and... Eh. And it does not... It pretty much loses... Like, it has so many matchups that are, like, skip matchups. Matchups that you might as well not bother. Like, Hunter is really rough. That's like a 30-70 matchup. Relic Demon Hunter. Relic Demon Hunter beats Spooky Mage harder than it beats Control Priest. Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah. It's just, like... it's just completely destroys that that deck. Also... And Rage Warrior is over 70% favored against Spooky Mage. You cannot do... Like, it's very weird to think about, oh, the deck with Blizzards and, and, and Star Power gets completely fine by Rage Warrior. You play that matchup a couple of times, you immediately understand why. Imbued Axe just completely farms you. You don't have, like, a Twisting Nether type of effect that can clean up a board completely. Like, if you're just blizzarding and injuring their minions, they're saying, oh, thank you. And go, we go again. They just go forever. And eventually, they just kill you with, like, a buffed uh, charger, and you die. Like, it's a very, very tough matchup. Um, And, you know, Chadruid is bad. Everything is bad. Like, you look at its matchup, it's just bad. Now, I will say Burn Mage. Burn Mage does have some hope. Uh, because if you run Star Power... It's actually looking more solid. Uh, the key is to run Star Power, Error, and Infinitize them Exited. And not either or. Uh, so I tried to figure out what to cut there. It's very difficult. It's actually quite interesting. Solid Alibi is a card that's very close to being cut from Burn Mage. And the reason is, and nobody's gonna, yeah. Like eventually I might say it and then nobody listens. But the reason why Solid Alibi, but in terms of data, there is justification to cut at least a copy of Solid Alibi. And the reason is that the Paladin matchup was really hard carrying Solid Alibi. It's really good against Paladin. But think of like matchups where Solid Alibi does next to nothing. Blood Control that night. Control Priest. Does nothing in these matchups. Also, it's not super effective uh, against things even like Hunter. Uh, because the Hunter eventually is going to kill you. Yeah, like, Solid Alibi in the matchup just delays the inevitable. 
and uh, it's hard for you to burn them down. Like, it's hard for you to build, like, I'm going to solid alibi and I'm going to stall while I, you know, throw uh, um, frozen touches on the opponent's face. I'm going to throw frozen touches at, at the hunter's face and I'm going to solid alibi to stall. Hollow Hound invalidates that plan which makes Solid Alibi really weak. Like, it's not a good path to win that matchup. Um, so, overall, I, I've, I've seen over the last month developments that made Solid Alibi worse as a card. Now, obviously, the perception of a Solid Alibi is really strong, right? It's a card that people want nerfed. So, cards that people want nerfed, it's hard for them to think that this card might not even be that good in a specific deck, in a specific situation, in a specific format. And this is currently Solid Alibi. Satino, very similar. A card that people complain about a lot, has had a very high power perception, so it was hard to shake off of a, of a certain archetype. Um, and this is, and Solid Alibi is, is pretty much in that same area of like, this is getting sussy. Now, if Paladin was 20% play rate, Solid Alibi is good, right? But again, in the current meta, Solid Alibi is not that good. Do you think that Star Power's inclusion also makes Alibi worse? Because Star Power already being kind of an anti-aggro uh, tool in the deck and, you know, Alibi just being kind of another weaker card in that kind of matchup? I mean, Star Power kind of covers the weakness of Solid Alibi in the sense that mm. if you just kill the board, then you don't die. You don't take damage. Yeah, exactly. So Yeah. If you just, yeah, if you just kill their board, you don't die. Uh, like, a lot of times, like, it's really funny. Uh, you would have a game, right? Like, it's very hard from a perspective of a player to understand the impact of the card, of a card. You can have solid, solid alibi against an unholy death knight, right? And that card sits in your hand multiple turns, does nothing. The fact that it does nothing results in, the, in you falling behind on board and them pressuring you harder. And then you play the Solid Alibi and you think that it saved you. Maybe you even win that game. And you say, oh, I won because of Solid Alibi. Even though the card sat in my hand for like seven turns and did nothing and led to me being in a really bad position, the fact that I could play it like seven turns later and maybe it stalled me a turn made me think that this card was actually good in that matchup. Um... Uh, so it's very hard to shake that. Like, maybe if the Solid Alibi was star power in that same situation, you wouldn't die because you would just clear the Unholy Death Knight's board and you would not have no pressure on you. You would not even need the Solid Alibi. So think about that situation. And that happens often, and I see it in the data. Uh, star power really helps you relieve pressure and not put you in a position where you have to revert to the stall freeze mage plan of like, I'm just going to ice block, ice block, ice block, and burst by the opponent down. Anyway, there's another mage deck, which is uh, Secret Mage, um, kind of popping up recently, looking quite solid. There are two builds. There are builds that run a lot of secret cards with, you know, Contract, Conjurer, and uh, Chatty Bartender, and, you know, Sketchy Stranger, all the secret cards. And then there's a build that just runs... I'm like, I'm Spooky Mage, but I'm running secrets. So the Spooky Mage that runs secrets is better. Uh, because um, 
The spooky, the skeleton package is really good with Frozen Touch in general. If you don't run Frozen Touch, uh, then you don't have off-board burst. You don't have reach. You're very reliant on the board to carry you through. Um, and sometimes, you know, the secrets are swift and you just have no pressure. So having Frozen Touch and having skeletons to constantly summon in order to infuse it gives you a better chance in, in some much in some matchups. So Sacred Mage is a solid deck and you can take it and you can you can do well with it. And Rage Warrior. Uh actually quite interesting. People started running Craze Wretches. I think Gabby uh popularized a list that cuts Grom and runs uh Craze Wretch. I looked at Craze Wretch and I saw a very good card in the deck. And I'm saying let's run two of it. Uh, it's also possible, it's entirely possible, that you want to run both Craze Wretches and Grom uh, in order to have as much charge damage as possible. Uh, we'll see how that goes. It really is dependent on how popular Control Priest is compared to something like Relic DH. Against Relic DH, you don't really need Grom. Uh, against Control Priest, you may even want all three. Because uh, sometimes... The Grom just soaks buffs, and it's slow. It's a card that's pretty slow. And Craze Wretch sometimes allows you to kill your opponent faster. Uh, so sometimes the Grom soaking buffs is kind of a liability. So I do notice that Grom is one of the weaker cards in Enraged Warrior, but it is a good card against Control Priest, so there is a bit of a conflict. So we'll see what ends up winning out. If... If Relic Demon Hunter grows in popularity and counters Control Priest harder and Control Priest doesn't rise in popularity, then there's definitely a good cause to just cut Grom and forget about it. But if Control Priest maintains popularity, I might revisit this and say, hmm, maybe we run Craze Wretches and Grom. Maybe you cut the Roaring Applause. Um, maybe you look at Treasure Guard. There's all sorts of things that you can do there. But uh, Deck is interesting. Deck is also very good. If you want to counter Relic Demon Hunter, play in Rage Warrior. Uh, it's, it's quite good against every deck that's popular right now other than Control Priest and Chadrid. And even these matchups are not that bad. Like The Control Priest matchup is like between 40 and 45%, around 42, 43. Uh, it's very winnable. Uh, you just need to, you know... Get an Anima Extractor turn, a big Anima Extractor turn, buff a Remordia or another Charger, and kill Control Priest over the top. That's like your your main plan. It's not easy to execute for two reasons. One is the draw consistency of this deck is not that high. And two, the Priest doesn't just AFK in that matchup. Um, it doesn't just sit and wait, for, wait to die. Sometimes they play a Blackwater Behemoth, and you lose the game. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it's it, it can be rough. But it's not, again, it's not an impossible matchup. And you need to just understand how to best navigate the fact that they're really good at removing your stuff. And you need to go over the top. Anyway. And again, if you're really bothered by that matchup, just run Grom. You can add Grom. Like, cut a Roaring Applause. Run no Roaring Applause. And... Run two wretches and, two, and a grom so that you always have a consistent target for our anima extractor. Uh, Menagerie Warrior is kind of 
weak right now. Uh, the best build is the Rancher build at this point. Uh, going late game doesn't seem to work very well. It's not good against Priest. Like having infinite uh, one Amalgam Bams isn't very good against a deck that runs Whirlpool. Right? That's one problem. And then the other problem is when you go greedy, uh, then you get punished by a lot of the early game decks like Unholy, Death Knight, uh, Frost, Death Knight. Uh, well, Frost is a bad example because that matchup is actually good. But uh, things like Hound Hunter uh, and Rage Warrior really snowball on you if you just sit around and wait for the perfect Amalgam uh, infinite turn, right? It's just, uh, it's just not viable right now. And that is it for Warrior. Control is unplayable. Uh, Paladin changes no cards. <laughs> runs order, order of the Court as the 30th card. And that is it. And it's kind of funny because, you know, when they announced the balance change, I said, maybe Feast of Phantom is kind of, maybe it shouldn't be nerfed. Maybe that's too harsh of a nerf. Three nerfs to a deck. And then the best build, Pure Paladin, is same Doom Hammer, Rockbiter. So maybe it was correct to, to nerf Feast of Famine. Uh, you know, people tried, you know, things like Jitterbug and, and Funkfin and taking out Horn. No. You want Horn. It is absolutely the card that beats Control Priest. Uh, it gives you a better chance against, like, Blood Control Death Knights. It's just so good. Uh, also, uh, Anachronis is huge in the current meta. It's like such a like you need to play around it so much. Like you, like if you like uh, number one tip. What I do notice is that people don't play around Anachronis enough when you face a paladin. Like if you have a rush minion that you can play into turn seven. And it doesn't really do anything. Wait. Hold it. Let them Anachronis. Then flood the board. Like if you have that Murlocula into turn 7, just hold it. So you can reload after the Anachronis. Because uh, that card just catches people off guard. And is, is I think one of the cards that high level players know how to play into better. I mean, it's incredibly telegraphed as well. Especially like if they Purator. It's telegraphed yet... People at lower ranks just don't think about it enough. And not just lower ranks, even higher ranks. Even sometimes you just focus on your plays and you just forget what they have and what they, even if they're, it's guaranteed that they have it, people don't play around it enough. So also play around the light rays, count how many cards they played. Like that's also something that you can do that really helps. If you know that a light light rays are coming or they're capable of playing it for zero mana the next turn, you need to plan for that. You can plan for it. So if you plan for it, you'll do much better. It feels like the nerfs to Pure Paladin were pretty much perfect. Um, like the exact same cards are still being played. So it, it seems like no card was over nerfed. Um, the deck is still tier one at diamond one, two, four and legend, but then drops off a little bit uh, at top ranks. Um, I don't know. This feels like nerfs are really hard to get right. Um, there was a lot of debate on just how many cards are changed to pure paladin. Uh, it feels like they got the mix pretty much spot on. Yeah. The nerfs are perfect. The reason why the nerfs are perfect 
is because Pure Paladin actually has counters now. It's still a good deck, but it's not the best deck at any rank. Uh, and they didn't they didn't take away the most interesting aspect of the deck right now, which is the Horn and Feast of Famine. Now, people will say, ah, that is toxic, whatever. Paladin shouldn't have off-board damage. What, so Hunter shouldn't have healing too? I think when those things happen, that classes that normally don't have access to something suddenly do, it creates a new dimension and makes it more interesting. Paladin, pure Paladin, its current iteration is a deck that people at top legend are willing to play, which is a huge deal, right? If people at high MMR actually are willing to play pure Paladin, even though it's not broken, then it tells me that there's something about this deck that's more attractive than it used to be. It's like the splitting of the atom, Zach. This is the greatest accomplishment from Team 5. Yeah, I mean, because like when you play the build that you had before with like Biggin and Funkfin and Jitterbug, you would have so many cards that were like good when you were ahead. But the moment your opponent won the board, you would have a bunch of cards that did nothing. You would just be a sitting duck. And what Horn gives you is a way to win even if you've fallen behind, which is something that your paladin normally doesn't have. And I think that that's cool. That's something new and interesting. I think this deck, it makes the deck more dyma dynamic. And I definitely like it more than I did before personally and at least I'm more likely to play this deck I'm still not going to play this deck I'm not perfectly locked into the uh you know the feelings of the player base right now especially when reddit was down oh man I am actually missed reddit yeah me too a little bit <laughs> but I was going to say that uh it reminds me that you know, is pure Paladin, is Doomhammer suddenly a fundamental problem? Like, is it a pure design issue now that pure Paladin is a bit weaker? Maybe some people still feel that way, but more often than not, these fundamental concerns that people have are just balance problems. This is just a balance problem. The deck is fine. It's, it's almost always the case. Almost always. The numbers were too big. So you lowered the numbers and the deck is fine now. So there's nothing... There was nothing fundamentally wrong with it. It was just numbers too too big. Did did two man damage for little mana. You push the mana. It does less damage for the mana. So it's good now. Speaking of horn, horn also makes shaman more interesting. Um, first totem shaman, kind of it's kind of funny because report two weeks ago. I look at Totem Shaman, oh, it has new possibilities. It needs to do new things. <laughs> and then nerfs happen. Pure Paladin reverts back to a reasonable play rate. You see more priests. You see like Relic Demon Hunters. And it's like, okay, we're back to Bloodlust and Max Card Draw. And, uh, and like everything that I've said two weeks ago is invalidated. And we just go back to the build that we had before, you know. Uh, with the double bloodlust, with the famished fool, with the ancestral knowledge, because what really matters the most for Totem Shaman is to not run out of cards. That was this case before the Paladin explosion. Then there was the the period of Paladin explosion that card draw suddenly wasn't that important, and now card draw is super important again. So with Totem Shaman, the main idea is you're gonna have board. You have really good board tools and board reload tools. Matchups are determined, a lot of matchups are determined by whether you run out of cards. Like when you play against Totem Shaman, very often what happens when you beat them, 
is they run out of cards. Uh, they just run out of stuff and they can no longer reload. And since the deck is not very reactive, it doesn't really have ways. Like if it falls behind, Total Shaman really doesn't do anything. The way that it wins when it falls behind, it just reloads harder, right? It's like it plays like an anchor totem into a totemic evidence into a Gigan totem. And that's it, like a, a thing from below. It just blows you up with more stats. Oh, you have more stats than me? I'm going to have even more stats. And that how it, that's how it comes back. So if it runs out of cards, it can't do that anymore. So just maintaining hand size is the, the important thing. Now, the other deck that's popped up is Evolve Shaman. And Evolve Shaman sounds scary. It's Evolve Shaman Spooky Spooky. Mm, I'm nervous. Yeah, but this current Evolve Shaman is really not that not that scary in terms of play pattern right you don't have desert hair evolve you don't have um you know box by knuckles kind of stuff you don't have early blowouts this deck plays similarly to totem shaman in the early game and then in the late game it's got a convincing disguise play it's not even that consistent of a play uh and again, it's a it's a board deck. It's very much it's very similar to Totem Shaman. Now, initially this deck popped and looked way worse than Totem Shaman. And then people start running Horn, and it got so much better. Now Horn is not a broken card in this deck, but it's a very, very good card. It just gives you a way to respond to the opponent's threats, and it gives you some off-board damage in case your opponent did manage to handle your board. And it's so good that I advocate running two of them. Um but I'm open for other changes. For example, why is not why is Glug not in this deck? I don't see people running Glug in this deck. But I do wonder why are we not running it in this deck? I feel like this is the deck that probably wants to run Glug over a pack the house or something else. But nobody's playing Glug, so I don't know. But if you do like Glug, I would try Glug in this deck. It kind of has anti-synergy with Evolve, but it also kind of don't. Because when you're playing board, and it's not Totem Shaman, so it's not like every card in your deck needs to be Totem, right? I think Glug makes sense in this deck. I would try it. Um, but this deck is good. It's competitive. It's as good as Totem Shaman at the very least, especially when you run Double Horn. Uh, and it's playable, so if you like it, you can enjoy it. There's, there's a lot of different types of decks, and this is another one. Rogue. Rogue is kind of sad, honestly. It's kind of sad. No, Miracle Rogue is good at top legend. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's unsaid, Zach. We don't, we don't ever have to say that ever again for the rest of time. Also, also, Secret Rogue is, I think, is a deck that's developing. And, you know, the thing about Secret Rogue is I, I, it was difficult to figure out what it wants to do in the late game. Um... Because, you know, there's all sorts of things that people are trying. Some people are running Task Grayman with like Hanar. So you get a lot of generation of stuff. And the task becomes good, kind of good in the late game. But Blinktron is better. It, it Like if you want to kill slower decks, Blinktron Astlor is probably the way to go. Um, there's also that the build from Jambray that ran uh, Scourge Illusionist and uh, Mothership and stuff like that. I'm not convinced by that. I think the Blink Trunk build is better. It, it does appear to be the case. 
And it's a deck that counters slow matchups. Like, it's good against Control Priest. It's good against Blood Death Knight. It's good against things that just sit around and just try to play very defensively. But Secret Order is way worse against aggressive decks compared to Miracle. So there is a price to pay there, and it's an inferior deck overall. But what I am concerned with when it comes to Rogue is that it's a class that just, outside of Top Legend, it's a class that just sees very little play and just has no traction outside of that, that high MMR area, which is a problem because the high MMR area, high MMR area is like how many players are at the high highest MMR? It's a small percentage. Most players are at lower ranks and they never see Rogue and Rogue just doesn't appeal to them. It seems like Rogue has developed into the spike class. It's always been kind of the spike class, but it's gotten to the extreme where we just can't play. You know what a deck that I really appreciated having in the format was Quest Rogue. Not the Quest Rogue of Big Caverns, but the Quest Rogue from Stormwind. It was a deck that was simple enough to play for players at lower ranks and was appealing and had a cool win condition. And you could play it everywhere on ladder and it was kind of viable. And it gave you some visibility with the class. Um, to a lesser extent, Thief Rogue was a deck that like it or not, people really enjoyed playing, even when it wasn't good. And now we're in a situation where you either play these niche decks that only work well at a very small portion of ladder, or you're just playing another class. So I'm really hoping that in the next expansion, they give this class something appealing that is not spiky, right? That is not just uh, geared to high MMR players. Uh, I'm not asking for something super simple. Like, I don't want a tribal deck. Please don't give me a tribal deck. You want more pirates deck? We can do pirate rogue again, if that's what you're into. <laughs> no, no, no. But just something that's a bit more accessible and different. Different from what we're, we're seeing right now because it feels like rogue is kind of you know, kind of on the last drops of water. Like, it's it just... It, it's still kind of surviving through a murder of Castle at uh, Castle Nathria set that gave them Miracle Rogue and it kind of has nothing else. So Rogue is a class that needs something new and refreshing. Yeah, I, I imagine like when you're talking when you're talking about that, the deck that's coming to mind is the Thief Rogue from last year. Um, I'm not saying revisit the Thief Rogue, but that's the type of archetype that, you know, would probably yeah, highly appeal. Thief Rogue was a deck that people really enjoyed. Yeah. Really liked that deck. They played it even when it wasn't good. But it was clearly appealing. So maybe we want to break from Theophrog for a while, right? It's understandable. Obviously, Theophrog will come back. It's a very popular archetype. It will absolutely get support in the future. But I'm looking forward to something else in the class. And I'm hoping I get something something like the Quest Rogue from Stormwind. In terms of having a clear path to victory, like something to build towards to on, on one hand, but something that's more accessible compared to Miracle, uh, which is a deck that's... Uh, it's funny that I talk about it like I'm talking about like as if I'm playing Plat. I'm playing high MMR or ladder. I run into Miracle Rogue. It's fine there. But I'm just saying, if you want Rogue to be popular or have visibility elsewhere, you need to do something else uh, for the class. 
And to be fair, I, I will just say, like, these are, like, small-ish nitpicks that we're kind of going through. Um, like, obviously, it would be great if Rogue, and we are looking forward to seeing if it has more appealing archetypes, but overall, the format is just so well-balanced overall that we are kind of getting to the last couple classes that are, you know, the the left ones out, the, like, the ones that are a bit left out right now. I mean, it's been a while since the worst class in the format were this good, right? Or... Not, not the worst class. I can't call Rogue one of the worst classes. Miracle Rogue is a very strong deck at top legend. But I'm saying that, yeah, it is kind of, it feels nitpicky, but I will say this meta is good. The balance changes were great. Uh, the format is looking good. There are decks of every kind, every type of deck exists in the format right now, pretty much. Uh, it's likely that a specific player will find something that they can enjoy. Uh, play rate wise, there's nothing that's overwhelming. Win rate-wise, there's nothing that's overwhelming. I think the meta is really good. Uh, in terms, of, like, at least it's a very good base for someone to find enjoyment in. Because it just depends on whether they find a deck that they enjoy, right? It's not dependent on, oh, I wish I would see just less of this class. Yeah, Control Priest is annoying. Chadruid is annoying. But these decks have a 10% play rate around that mark at their peak, Right? We often run into metas where you have an obnoxious deck with like 20% play rate that's super powerful and chokes out the format. So when we're in this situation, it's definitely much better. But I will say that Warlock sucks. If there's one <laughs> class that sucks, it's Warlock. And again, it doesn't suck to the extent of, you know, past sucky classes. You know, you'd had classes with 40% win rates. Uh, Chad Warlock is actually like... It's bad, but it's not complete dumpster fire garbage, right? Uh, it's just not good. Uh, it just doesn't have enough. I think the main issue with Chadrid is that it doesn't have good survivability, and that bad survivability is not compensated by a really good late game. Like if if you want bad survivability, you need a really good late game. If a deck can tolerate bad survivability it's late game needs to be really good think of zoctorid right it would get rolled over by aggressive decks but to compensate for that it's late game was really powerful it was the late game king right chadruid is kind of zoctorid without being the late game king because it's late game just like it when it lines up against the blood control death knight or control priest it doesn't even win this, these matchups consistently so when it gets rolled over early on top of that, then, you know, why would I play this deck? So that's the issue of Warlock. I would rather Warlock got survivability than a better late game. Because that would... Like, if you made it late game really, really strong, then it would be polarizing, right? So, to balance that, probably you want more survivability. Am I allowed to say it, Zach? Is, is Defile overrated? Yeah. <laughs> It has um, single-handedly carried the defensive, uh, you know, the defensive stuff for Warlock. Uh, I mean, the, I think the problem is that there's just, it's just Defile. It's nothing else, yeah. It's, there's nothing else. I wouldn't blame it on Defile not being good enough. The problem is that the other tools are really bad. I mean, Warlock is playing Mortal Coil. <laughs> it's playing Mortal Coil. When it's playing Mortal Coil, you know there's nothing. Um, yeah, that's a bad situation. And Imp Warlock, nobody, like, Imp Warlock is a deck that's been around for a year, and nobody cares to play it, and it's not even good, so why would I touch it, right? 
a deck that's old and it's just not relevant. Um, but again, Warlock is not far away. I think, I think a set can definitely completely change the the fortunes of this class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So like, it has the tools, but it just isn't quite fleshed out right now in either direction. Like, as long as it picks, as long as it gets a lane, like either very very strong defensive or like you're saying very very strong late game, it can probably find a more appropriate niche. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think it's it's not that far away from from being competitive, but it needs new cards, obviously. Yeah, and you know, we might get to those new cards, Zach, very, very shortly. So we'll have to keep an eye out for that, uh, listeners. Yeah, uh, but overall, I think standard is in a good spot. Um, no meta is going to be perfect. There's always going to be maybe this one deck that really annoys you, but no deck is too popular to the point where their annoyance is overwhelming, and a lot of classes are viable. A lot of different archetypes. There are all kinds of playstyles that are viable and are good. Uh, there's no deck that on a climb to legend is over dominating to the point where you just see it and nothing else. Obviously, Deathline is going to have high visibility uh, outside of legend because it's the new class and and blood control is a people is a deck people love. But none of the Deathline decks at this point are too good at any rank on, on ladder, so that's encouraging. Uh, so you have a really good format. And I will say that Team 5 have consistently, when it comes to second and third balance patches of an expansion, they usually get it better. Uh, I think the toughest patch to make, and we're going to get to that point again, is the two-week patch after the launch of the expansion. This is the tricky part. This is when there's less information. This is when... Uh, it's possible that a deck pops up after you made the decision, like Spell Demon Hunter did, right? You didn't know about it when you made the decision to nerf some cards, and suddenly that deck appeared, and you couldn't account for it. So the the, the two-week patch is always tricky. It's always hard. But when it comes to having, when they have the time and they have the data to assess all their options, they nail it. I, I generally think... Don't do three day patches mm-hmm. like uh, like last time, because you don't have you don't have the time to even make a proper decision unless there's it's like a day one demon hunter in ashes of outland situation where it's just completely busted or alternatively something that's so unbearable like turn four OTKs turn five OTKs or Turn five, Kelthus blowout turns right. There's nothing you can do. Something like Womper turned way up. Like if, like let's say you launch an expansion and Chadruid is like fifty three percent win rate. Yeah, you can make a nerf three days in. But I think making balance changes that are about you know curbing outliers or slide power outliers is just impossible to do when you don't have the time. So. I, I generally think that in the first balance patch, I don't even count the three-day patch emergency patch. In the first balance patch, that's two weeks in, what the goal is, curb extreme power outliers and curb extreme play pattern outliers. Just the extremes. And then you curb that, you try to let the format solve itself figure out answers to its problems, to whatever problems arrive. A deck is really good and 
And you give also time for new decks to emerge because there are always decks that emerge like two, three weeks in. And then you start listening to more nuanced play pattern concerns, right? You start listening to the people who are saying, oh, you know, this deck is kind of wearing on me. Or you start listening to, you always listen to them, right? But I think that addressing play pattern concerns that are more nuanced is something that you should save for the second patch of the expansion. Uh, because it's a more complicated decision. So if if you stick by that rule of like, this is what we do, this is the goal of the first patch, and then in the second patch, we start looking more carefully into more nuanced stuff, then I think it's a, it's a winning formula. Uh, but we'll see. This week, probably an expansion announcement. I'm looking forward to exciting times. I'm excited to try out Twist. Um, I'm excited. I'm even playing Wild because I got addicted to Outcast. I'm playing Standard. Uh, I'm having a good time. All right, Zach, if I find you on Wild Ladder, uh, I promise... You, wait, sorry. You promise not to, you know, summon Brutes on turn four, right? Go easy on me. Ah, I'm absolutely I'm absolutely going to Brute you, dude. <laughs> I am absolutely going to... No mercy, Brute. Yeah, it only works if you say it out loud, though. That's what I've learned on stream. You have to actually say the words, otherwise uh, the Brutes never turn up. I wonder if Hat... If, if Hat understands, if Hat knows that, that he can play... Brute and Wild. Hat, Brute is really good in Wild right now because he's the Brute addict. So you should know that. Yeah, we'll get in touch. Um, but listeners, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, on today's episode. I'm going to do the uh, the wrap-up properly because at the start of the show, apparently I just plowed through the whole thing. I didn't even say my name. Uh, so listeners, if you do want to help support the show, you can always do so by supporting us uh, with VS Gold or on Patreon and getting a whole bunch of very sweet perks. You can also follow Vicious Syndicate at ViciousHS on Twitter or come join the Discord to get involved with the conversation and the community. Um, the next bounce, uh, sorry, the next report will be coming out on the 29th. We very much look forward to Twist and everything, you know, coming out near the future. I'd like to thank Evil Dave for the podcast transcriptions. And as always, Stephen Sensei for the intro and outro. Have a great one, guys. Bye. The Data Reaper podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.